You're listening to Voices of Your Village, and today I got to hang out with someone I've adored for a while from afar, from her podcast, Dr. Aliza Pressman. She's a developmental psychologist with nearly two decades of experience working with families and the healthcare providers who care for them. Aliza is an assistant clinical professor in the Division of Behavioral Health Department of Pediatrics in the ICANN School of Medicine at Mount Sinai Hospital, where she is co-founding director of the Mount Sinai Parenting Center. Aliza is also the host of the award-winning podcast, Raising Good Humans. It is such a great podcast. I love it. I've been a longtime listener. She holds a BA from Dartmouth College an MA in Risk, Resilience, and Prevention from the Department of Human Development at Teachers College, and her PhD is in Developmental Psychology from Columbia University Graduate School of Arts and Science. Aliza also holds a teaching certificate in Mindfulness and Meditation from the Greater Good Science Center at the University of California, Berkeley. Aliza is the mother of two teenagers, and her first book is out right now. Y'all, it is so good. And I mean this. It is The Five Principles of Parenting. And what I love so much about this, it lets you off the hook for like really what doesn't matter and helps you focus in on what does. And it spans age ranges from like infancy to teenagers. There's different chapters and sections for you to dive into. So you can kind of use it as like a reference text. So go snag the five principles of parenting and let's dive in. Hey there, I'm Alyssa Blass Campbell. I'm a mom with a master's degree in early childhood education and co-creator of the Collaborative Emotion Processing Method. I'm here to walk alongside you through the messy, vulnerable parts of being humans raising other humans with deep thoughts and actionable tips. Let's dive in together. Hello, hello, Dr. Aliza Pressman. I'm so jazzed to get to hang out with you. I've been a Longtime listener of your pod, and now so stoked about your new book. Excited to get to dive in with you. Ah, thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. We were just before we came on talking about how there's there's a bunch of books, there's a bunch of resources out there, and a lot of the times we can stumble upon things that add noise but not value. And as I was diving into your book, I was like, oh, it's a value add. Like I love that. So thank you for writing a value add. What led you to being like, we need another parenting book here? I mean, I was very hesitant and actually I very much said I would never write a parenting book for the reason that you said. And also because I just was like, I just don't want to continue to burden mothers more than fathers, but in general caregivers with more on their to-do list. And there's all this content on the podcast and you can consume it while doing dishes and it just seemed easier. But then I, I sort of found themes that I kept thinking, you know, some people really like to consume information by just having a book where they can keep going back to it over the years and it's just accessible under one roof. So I decided I would write a book, but then if people don't want a book, they won't get it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> if they don't want it, they won't get it. <laughs> they won't get it. But then if they want something that makes them feel like, okay, it's here. Yeah. I definitely don't expect anybody to read it in one shot because it's for, you know, from infancy through adolescence. So it was much more like if you're troubleshooting or if you want something under one roof, here it is. And 
hopefully it's super helpful. And if you want to get into the nitty gritty of something, there are other books that are just on one topic, but I literally want to just cover everything that comes my way often and just house it in one place and hope that I could clear away a lot of the noise around what is science and what is, even if it is science, what really matters yeah. and not moving the needle and is only making you crazy. And so I decided to write it. Yeah, I dig that so much. And I like, it's like a reference text, right? Where it's like, oh, I can go back and reference this at certain points. And so obsessed with the like, it's it's good enough. Like your parenting is good enough that perfect parenting is the enemy of good parenting right in there. Because I've never left the day as a parent or a teacher. I have a master's in early edited research and building emotional intelligence. And I've never left the day and been like, wow, I was perfect today. Everything that I did and said was perfect. And I think so often, you know, we hear about the guilt piece of this and like shame that a lot of parents and I think specifically moms tend to carry of like, I'm not doing a good enough job. And so that for me as just like a common theme throughout your book was like, we need this. I really, well, first of all, I'm a mother, so I'm well aware of how I'm only good enough. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but I have to say, I feel great about it. Like I yeah. don't have, and I definitely set out on this parenting journey to be a little bit more perfect because I had so much information at my sure. fingertips. I went to graduate school before I had kids and like, I don't think I understood the part of it where you're a person. And so I was just sort of more like, here's all the things that you can do that will be best practices and it's gonna be great. And then over the years, it's not that I'm not, I'm still hard on myself, but I have to say, like, I believe the science that good enough is good enough. And if I believe the science about other things, I have to believe that science too. You know, I feel like if you're listening to this podcast, if you're buying the books, like, you know, we want our kids to thrive. We want to thrive. We wouldn't be in this game if we didn't. And I love that because the alternative of the chaos of paying no attention feels also quite disturbing but really believing the balance of like not too much not too little and finding the truth of how much better good enough is than perfect for our kids that it's actually more perfect i mean it i guess i i live that i mean my kids will roll their eyes because they're teenagers and say <laughs> we know you very much Perfect. I just think it's like nice to believe it, not just say it. Like I'm not secretly feeling like I'm angry with myself all the time. I'm actually like too almost I've taken it possibly too far. Like it's fine. This is fine. Like, you're fine. Good. We are good. I am a perfectly good mom. Yeah. So in this just like so much yes i think what's helpful is breaking down the like what actually is important part of it because good enough is enough and i think for so many of us when we were writing tiny human speaking emotions actually i had I was in a conversation with somebody and i said something about like oh she's such a good mom and my friend was like what does that mean and i was like what yeah. does that mean yeah. and i started to like sit with it and really think about it and I ended up outlining like three questions that I now like bring myself back to when I find myself in like comparison or I'm feeling guilt or I'm feeling shame. And, you know, last year I was like, okay, I feel like one of the things I'm supposed to be doing is like sending holiday cards and 
like doing family photos and whatever. And I was like, all right, I'm going to do it. And I hated every step of the way. We sent literally 15 cards out. And now I just have a box of holiday cards that live in my house that I'm never going to do anything with. I'm never going to send. And I was like, yeah. what am I even doing? Like, that has nothing to do with being a good mom. No, and, and it has nothing to do with how your kids turn out. Correct. But I think there are so many things like the holiday cards mm-hmm. that then we end up feeling like, oh, I'm not doing enough. And whether it's like, how much do I work? How little do I work? Do I go out with friends? Do I take time for myself? What's the right amount? There's so many questions I think that we ask ourselves all day long, all the time. And it's supposed to like add up to like, am I good enough? Without the like value part of like, these are weighted categories <laughs> that whether or not I send holiday cards real low on that weight scale. You know what and I mean? For somebody else, it might be really high. Like totally. your definition of what good is in the same way that like, what is a good human? What is a good parent? Like, what is a good mother? Some people really will feel that those are ways to create rituals and traditions that are really meaningful in the family that the kids get used to, that they're excited to look forward to. I am not one of those people, but (laughs) if you can guess, but I definitely like, I don't begrudge anybody who derives joy from that. Like if Mm -hmm. that's part of your joy, I have friends where that's like, they start doing that over the summer it's one of the things they're really good at and they feel good about themselves. So then they can be better parents because they're feeling like I did that. It feels good. So I feel great when that happens. Mm-hmm. The problem is if you think that how someone else defines good is applicable to you when your values aren't aligned. A hundred percent. Just like what brings you joy? In your book, you talk about the age of high pressure parenting and thank you because I have a two and a half year old and hey, you're in it. so aggressively pregnant and so very much in the age of high pressure parenting. And I have found one, one of my favorite podcast interviews I ever did for Voice of Reveal just with my mom years ago. And I'm one of five kids and we grew up in a low income community. She was a stay-at-home mom by necessity. And I, I got to ask her like, all these like parenting questions that I had. And when I asked her, like, if you could go back and do anything differently, what would you do? The first three, my three older brothers are like 18 months to two years apart each. And then there's four years and then me and then five years and my little brother. And she was like, I wish I could have approached the first four of you, the way that I approached number five, where all of a sudden I had this picture of like, what actually matters and what doesn't. And I got to bring that into my last baby. And she was like, we were in jammies way more. We just played. You had grilled cheese and tomato soup way more. All of a sudden, like all these things that I had felt were so important with the first four of you just weren't. <laughs> <It's> crazy. Right? <laughs> That's that's a beautiful thing to realize. I mean, it's a little harder when you you've already had the hard Correct. work before, but for you, it was a great piece of advice. Yeah, I was like, thanks, mom. I will take that. Uh, <laughs> but I think now, like, I'm curious what what do you think is different about being a parent now in this like age of high pressure parenting? Really, what does that mean? What does that boil down to? I think we have taken information and the information age and access to information, which is wonderful. Like, I'm not gonna say anything super extreme about it. It has many benefits, but we've taken it so far that now there's like a micromanagement of parenting. 
-hmm. that can make you, again, some people want that because it alleviates stress that works for them. But for the majority of mothers, mostly mothers, I think the micromanagement of like exactly what you're supposed to say at exactly each point and exactly what you're supposed to eat and exactly what you're supposed to do when they're crying or exactly how they're supposed to sleep and exactly which of the best swaddles is the best swaddle and exactly it's just there's so much that is expressed in a way where if you don't do it there will be problems and i think that's the part of the high pressured parenting that bums me out is it's not presented as hey listen if this is helpful i'm so happy to be here but it's presented as if you don't do this there will be problematic outcomes like if you say this to your child there'll be codependence in your future. Or if you, you know, it's like pathologizing of everyday moments, frankly. And that I think is the high pressured parenting that is, it's not fair to us. And I don't blame, 100%. I don't blame the consumer because, but I think part of it is also, you know, delivering research. So there's two categories because there's people that are just delivering information based on their experience and they're not claiming to. Sure have been trained to know any of this or have the science. They're just, you know, whatever the equivalent of blogging was back in the day. Um, I'm so old and um, I'm so sorry for like. No, I love the blogging reference. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so that's one thing. And I, I have nothing to say about that other than be careful, you know, like sure. be careful that your experience isn't everyone's experience and that you speak from the I place. But for the people who are trying to figure out how do we deliver information that, that is research-based or evidence-based, I think the onus is on us to make decisions about how to articulate these things that will be helpful, not harmful, or helpful or, and neutral. Because I think what happens is sometimes there is real science that says if you wear a blue t-shirt, you're going to have a higher likelihood of eating blueberries that day. But that doesn't matter. And it was only done in the context of where there are blueberries being picked in the market next door. So like research has to be in context and many, if not most studies are in context that has nothing to do with the parents that are listening to this advice or guidance. So I think taking that into account is very important and the onus is on us. I am loving ready to eat meals in this season of life. Things are really busy over here with a toddler and a newborn, and I don't always want to be focusing on meal planning and ordering groceries. Factors, fresh, never frozen meals are chef crafted and dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. There's zero prep and zero mess. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup involved. And holy moly, do I need that right now. I also love that I can order as much or as little as I need by choosing my meals every week, and I can pause or reschedule my deliveries anytime. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, restaurant-quality meals with no cooking required, and there are more than 60 add-ons, like pancakes and smoothies, to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Head to factormeals.com slash village50 and use code village50 to get 50% off. That's code village50 at factormeals.com slash village50 to get 50% off. 
With spring on the horizon, but not quite here yet in Vermont, I've been looking for simple ways to give my body the energy boost it needs and keep up with healthy habits, especially on those tired mornings when I'm just feeling drained. And that's why I decided to give AG1 a try. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and more, but it's a powerful healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel more energized and ready to take on the day. It's a morning ritual that gives me peace of mind and then I'm getting comprehensive nutrition that supports my immune system and keeps me going all day. As a parent of two amazing kids, longevity is on my mind more than ever before. I want to make sure I'm taking really good care of myself so that I can continue to show up for the moments that matter. Every day, AG1 helps me build long-term health with daily nutrients that support brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm setting myself up for the long run. AG1 is the supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm jazzed to welcome them as a new sponsor. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com village. That's drinkag1.com village. Check it out. I love this so much. And I think it is the exact opposite of how social media works. It's the exact Be- opposite. Mm-hmm. Which is a, I think, a huge part of the problem. We even like from um, like content creators on our side that we have. It's like this constant push pull on the back end of like, I don't care what you say to your kid. Like I, that is not what feels most important to me. And I think actually it can be counterproductive if you're just like I would just need the script right okay. and. not long ago I was having a hard day and I was crying and my husband walked in and he was like wow you look sad and I was like oh no shit like good job bud right like is it the tears coming down my face right but it just like felt like he was reading from a script like he was trying to say the right words but that it didn't sound like him it didn't like this isn't it didn't feel connecting and I think so much of what I know what we get asked a lot is like, what do I say in the moment? Yeah. And something I really love is that the first of the five R's for your um, five R's that kickstart your book here are uh, the first one's relationships. And I think that it's huge because then you get to find your own authentic self within this relationship and you realize it doesn't really matter. Like what I needed was for Zach to walk in and be like, oh man, what happened? Like, what's going on? You know, and not like, oh, you look sad. (laughs) Totally. I think. Or to just like try and say the right thing even, Yeah, you know? Your relationship, your relationship gets you to the right thing, even if you can't do the right thing. And I think those scripts could, I mean, I know this because I, if I dare accidentally script my response to my kids, um, with something, they will very quickly look at me and say, like, don't, psycho-, they, they call it like, don't psychologist me. But, <laughs> um, but it really is, it feels good to have a script for totally. the first one or two times. And then you're like, oh, wait, this is going to happen 700 times. And I can't keep calling on a script. 
So for the 698 other times, I need to have a relationship so that I can be in it with this other person. And that's really important to me because I do think scripts can, again, like you said, it just like not only can cause a barrier, but it can piss off the other person because, you know, and I understand the idea of like you, you know, sample. I tried to give some sample scripts just and to be careful about like, this is my voice and this is a sample, but this is for everybody to take in. And you just want that message to get across, but it doesn't have to be those words. But the problem in this world, especially with social media is like, people are like, what's the exact phrase? What do I need to do exactly? And I think that the problem with that is that relationships are not exact in that way. And they can actually feel pretty crummy when you, when the person on one side of it feels like a robot. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I think we can then focus in on something that isn't the most important, right? Like I, Yeah, just like, oh, did I say the right words? And we, there's a, like, (laughs) in Vermont, an early childhood, like, Facebook group. And about twice a year, this post circulates about how we shouldn't be saying no thank you to kids when they're doing a behavior we don't like. And here's what you need to be saying instead. And it ends up with this whole, like, thing. and And I, every single time, am, like, annoyed by this post because I'm like, of all the things to put your time and energy into, saying no thank you when a kid's doing a behavior you don't like is so low on the totem pole of things that are going to be effective in this relationship, in shifting that behavior even. And all of this, like recognizing our time and our energy is finite, right? That we, it's not like we have an abundance and every parent listening is like, yep, it's finite. And so if we're going to choose, like, what actually do I focus on that? Like the script part of it for me is it can pull away from my own energy where I'm like, oh, am, right. did I what say really that? Matters. Yeah. And also it, it is hard when you then revisit the script in your head and you're like, I don't know if I said the right thing or what did I do? So yeah, relationship far outweighs actual words that we're using and and yet i recognize that there are times when people are just like i just need the script 100%. i just want it to be a cautionary like same habit as something to just learn as a practice but i tried really hard to be more about what are the questions you ask yourself what are the you know physiologically what can you do to get your i'm trying not to use a curse word but like to get your act together in the moment um and things that that are not to memorize a script and i think that's one of the most important things we need to know right now about parenting that you cannot articulate in an instagram post it's not fast enough or rather it's too i guess it's too fast the social media is too fast and sometimes there is a longer answer that doesn't have a script that will be fast and easy, but it has an answer that will last you for a decade. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that it's okay to be in that messy middle, I guess, of like, I'm trying to figure out. I agree. I think sometimes scripts are a helpful jumping off point. Um, I wrote in Tiny Humans, like sometimes I open my mouth and my mom comes out and like, sometimes it's great. Sometimes I totally want to pass it on, but like sometimes spend a lot of time and money in therapy trying to not. And so like (laughs) having 
a script in those moments where I'm like, this is what I heard growing up and it's coming out and I don't want to say this, but I don't even know how else to navigate this right Right. now. I have found scripts helpful in those moments for myself as I'm like rewriting patterns and building awareness and doing some deeper work that then allows me to connect. But that's one of the things I think in the age of like high pressure parenting that is such a focus. And I think social media, like we do a disservice there um, of like driving that home. In your five R's, we have relationships, reflection, Mm-hmm. Can you give us insight into reflection? Yeah, I mean, you kind of just mentioned reflection because you thought about like, what did I hear when I was growing up? What do I want to repeat? And what do I want to stop repeating? And that's reflection and reflecting back to our kids, their experience of what might be going on and doing our work really helps us to come into each situation or as you know, more often than not, as I like to put it having put to the side not away because it's never going to be gone but put to the side our baggage because we have an awareness like okay that's going to piss me off extra because of this history but let me put that aside and just be present with what's going on right now so that i don't write this story and put everything onto my kid or the baggage of the future that I'm writing. Because when I was in high school, this happened. So if my two-year-old does X, Y, or Z, this is a pathway to this terrible outcome. And put that baggage aside, reflect like what's happening for me and how can I now put that aside so that I can be actually in a relationship with my child where I'm not imposing 30 to 50 years of history on someone or 25 to 50, whatever it is. And so reflection is super important. And it's also another word for mindfulness, but it began with an R. And I think we underestimate the scientific value of mindfulness and just literally finding the space between what happens and what we do about it. And so reflection to me is that space and that space is everything. It's huge. And I think it's so hard to find in the moment. I think the hardest skill to hone is that that space yeah. between reflection and response, right? And like where you can you can reflect in the moment, literally picturing my morning this morning as I was trying to get Sage out the door for childcare. It was not our easiest uh, out the door for childcare mor- morning. And I found myself like by the time I'm in the driver's seat, I have a whole story about my husband and all the ways he's failing in this and a whole story about Sage and what this is going to mean for his entire next three years of going to child get right? Like a full projection of like all of it and was like grateful for that opportunity to sit in a driver's seat and drive while he was in his car seat because I needed that. Like finding that pause in the moment, I think is so hard and such a hard skill to hone. It really is. And in the short term, like when you can't access it, and that's why at the end of each chapter, I have these like reflection breaks to just practice because sometimes in the heat of the moment slash most of the time in the heat of the moment, you can't. But if you've been practicing that not in the heat of the moment, you're just more likely to have access to it. And then you just get better at it. Yeah, yeah, love it. Love it. We don't build skills in the moment. We call in the ones we have. And then regulation is your third one, which is not a new term for this community. We talk about the nervous system a lot here. So, Speaking of, 
I think that's another really important thing to say. The five principles of parenting, those five R's, that's the spoiler alert for this book <laughs> is that I, these five principles all start with an R. It's not like I made them up. I just like pulled together the science and tried to categorize it in ways that I felt like, okay, this is what we really know matters, but this is on the, this is me reflecting back decades of science. It's not mm -hmm. like I'm like, ah, here's a new concept that nobody's ever known. And I say that only because that's another one of those wonky things about this field. It's actually been around. And we, As we have, bonkers. yeah, actually my publishers were like, why do you constantly reference like who said what, or who did this study or when? And I'm like, I just want people to know not only where it came from, but that it has roots that have been around for long enough that we can count on this. It's not trendy. So I didn't invent it. So regulation, I just, I called it regulation instead of self-regulation or co-regulation because it's like encompasses all regulation. And it starts with an R. So it's And really it starts with an R. Right. So it yeah. felt like sure. the right move. <laughs> um, and I think what you can only get to regulation with reflection, like with the pause. Mm -hmm. um, but then once you do, you have capacity to have your goals met because regulation is intentional and you can't have intentional thoughts, intentional feelings, intentional actions if you haven't taken a moment. And that's the thing we work on forever, like having something happen and then not losing our shit, our cool is, shit. is um, that's self-regulation. And having, expecting that of our children, and it sounds like you've talked about this a lot, but so expecting their nervous systems to be fully developed and have capacity for that is not an appropriate expectation. How can parents know that without knowing how the brain develops? I totally get it. But they need to borrow our regulation and that's co-regulation. And so we have to regulate ourselves more often than not just in the service of growing their skills. So whenever we're focused on how do we build the skill in our kids, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, we have to grow it in ourselves. And I love that parenting is this bolstering opportunity for becoming our next version of self, where there are things that we sort of were like, I'm gonna deal with that when I grow up. <laughs> and shoot, here, here I am. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think about like the idea of oh, I can't get calm in the moment for my kid. But what we're saying is like my kid needs to get calm for me. But if we can't access that, like yeah. how wild it is to expect them to. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, I'm sure by the end of the day, I'll say something that implies a lack of self-regulation when, sure. you know, like something sets me off. But I think being able to have a few strategies that just like, put your alarm system on, you know, like everything's fine and shuts it down. You know, that's what we can hope for. That's what we can ask for. That's what we can practice. And it does really impact our kids. It also just makes parenting as a general way of like just the existence of this challenge and joy of every day way easier because your nervous system isn't in a constant state of I'm about to flip out it really feels like like i want relief for parents that yeah. you can take the time to self-regulate and you can take whatever you need to take to get your nervous system in check 
because not only do you deserve it, which I know is not a good selling point for parents, but your <laughs> kids deserve it, which is usually what motivates us to grow. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's bonkers what I won't do for myself, but will do for yeah. the tiny humans. It's ridiculous. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. Your next one here is rules, which I think everyone might be jazzed about. (laughs) I know. I think that um, that one is actually the hardest one for if I, I, I feel like the current high pressure parenting world is struggling to make sense of how you can have rules alongside sensitivity of care, you know, the relationships yeah. and the regulation and the reflection and like, how does that Agreed. go rules? And so rules gets thrown away a lot more often. And rules is just an R word for boundaries and limits. And one is kind of the boundaries are more about kind of your rules for yourself and the, the things that you expect and the differentiation between you and your child or you and other. I don't think these are exclusive to parent-child relationships. And the limits are about your expectations of your child that are helping them move through the world as members of this small little community of your household and the larger community of their school and outside world. And we get so scared of how uncomfortable rules make us feel and how our kids feel that we tend to assume or just default into never mind. So I wanted to give like a whole principle that was permission in the context of the other principles 
to make it really clear and predictable that you have expectations of your kids and that is totally not inappropriate and it's actually more harmful to not have them it's actually really hard for kids not to have rules but somehow i think the real pain point for parents is like if your child is looking at you with their delicious welled up eyes or they're screaming or they just are like absolutely not having it that if you feel like you're being a sensitive parent that you're gonna be like okay i hear you you're struggling let me not make you do this or let me not ask this of you and that isn't true it's actually very unsafe to feel like that i mean i'm not telling you anything you don't know but i'll tell everybody else it is a very unsafe feeling to be put in the position of having someone who is meant to be caring for you unsure of where the walls are to the house like what a scary feeling you know or where the sense of safety comes from and so kids don't just have to feel emotionally and physically safe but they actually have to feel like you have or i guess in order to feel that way they need to feel like you've got a handle on what the rules are so part of this book is to help parents and caregivers come to terms with the rules that matter to them both the rules for themselves and the rules for their kids and to not feel like you can't be completely sensitive to your child and also live totally free of feeling like their distress is a reason to change your rules in fact i think it's really hard on kids to think that their feelings are dangerous. And the message we send to them when we don't feel comfortable setting these limits because of their distress is that their distress is dangerous in some way, that it's so dangerous that an adult who's had all this life experience is like, oh, that feeling cannot be, let's fix it. So I think it's a service to our kids to really think about rules. And the problem is historically, if somebody is just like, because I said so. Yeah and it's fear-based, rules get a bad rap. And that is not what I'm talking about. Well, and I think that's where a lot of the challenge comes in for us now is that a lot of us grew up in, because I said so, just like power over cultures where it was like obedience cultures, right? And then there's this pendulum swing from like (laughs) that to now everything will be talked about and figured out together and whatever. And we'll, and I'm like, there's a middle ground, right? Like there's a middle ground of, yeah, we can, I can explain why this is the rule to them, but it doesn't change the rule. Right. And I think a lot of us grew up without the explanation of why. In fact, one of my best friends uh, just messaged me the other day and she was on a boat with her toddler and her dad and her sister and her toddler kept like standing up to like look over the side of the boat and she came over and she said I'm going to help you sit down and I'll tell you why we can't stand up on the boat like the rule going in was they weren't allowed to like stand up and lean over and so she helps her sit down and is telling her why and her dad was just like you don't need to tell her why you're the boss here just tell her there's no standing over the side and she was like totally that's exactly how you parented me got it I'm going to do it this way (laughs) and but I think a lot of us grew up with that and so now it's like we are nervous about repeating that part. I think the reflection and rules piece can come hand in hand here a lot. That expectation piece of like, I've never set 
a boundary or a rule for a kid and they were like, I can tell you're really here to keep me safe. Like, thank you so much for having my safety as your number one priority. Um, I can't wait to follow this. Exactly. And actually, when I was on book tour, one of the parents' uh, questions in the audience was about like boundaries and like, how can I set it so that I'm not carrying my crying child away from this thing? And I was like, actually, I want to shift to like, what if when you said it, your kid is crying and feeling disappointed and frustrated? And what does that mean to you about you? And really Action. looking at that, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And looking at that of like, it is okay for your kid to be disappointed or frustrated about the rule. They don't have to love it. It's still our job to set and hold them. Yeah. I I had this really interesting moment with my older daughter in the beginning of the pandemic. Maybe we're like three weeks in and she was 13. This will be under the category of not perfect parenting. And so like after my younger one went to bed, she wanted to watch Grey's Anatomy, which was a totally inappropriate show. And I couldn't remember Grey's Anatomy, but I remembered that it was definitely inappropriate. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, we can watch it together. And then I'll fast forward the parts if I'm just like, this is not going to work. Anyway, we started watching it. And it's so it's like a soap opera. So I was so in. And then it started to happen where every night we would stay up late and watch episodes of Grey's Anatomy. And after like a week and a half, my daughter looked at me and she was like, I need my mother back. Like, I need a bedtime. I need help. I feel like, where did you go? Because of course I was like pan deep in pandemic. Correct. Sort of, like, Actually, this feels really good for me too yeah, right I now. I cuddle <laughs> and watch TV for hours and hours. But like, I pushed it too far and we became like college roommates or something and she wasn't safe. And so I had to like, be like, you're right. Okay, I'm, thank you for naming that. Thanks for not being afraid to tell me that. I'm going to like curb this. And then of course, inevitably when she wanted to, and I said, you know what, we're going to take a break right now and we'll do it, at, you know, on the weekend or whatever. She was like, I, I wish I hadn't said that to you. I regret it now. But it was a really good reminder because I probably was like, all right, I've got myself my little roomie and we're just going to chill out till late in the night watching terrible television for days on end because I'm comfortable. And I'm fine with it. Like, of course we needed it at that moment, but it was a reminder that it's not like they're going to thank us for the rules and the limits and the boundaries, but they do need it. And they, I would go as far as to say, I watched it happen. Like my daughter was like, I can't, this does not work. Like having you forget that R, that's not what she said, but that's what sure. she, you know, is hard like that is way worse than having an understanding and a, a clear sense of like what is expected of me and what is happening here a hundred percent and they're not going to be jazzed right like but that's i think right. so i thank you for sharing that story because i think it's helpful to see also the the, the not perfect parenting but the like yeah, it, i'm good at that <laughs> boy do i got stories for you uh <laughs> But just that like, yeah, it's it actually does provide that safety and security. And I think that can feel counterintuitive yeah. for us in the moment. Yeah. All right. So the last R is so huge and important. And I think a huge part of the like good is good enough. Repair. Repair. Yeah. So and repair is another one of those. It's getting a lot of attention right now, but it has been around 
for decades. And the reason why I wanted to pull things that have been around and looked at and studied very deeply across so many different cultures and communities is so that we can say, okay, this does actually matter in many contexts, in all the ones that we've ever looked at. Repair is what strengthens relationships because no relationship is going to have, you know, just like smooth sailing and everything is connected. Repair is the only key to recognizing that there is a sturdy foundation beneath you and that it is not going to crumble because of disrepair or discord. And I love that the early studies of looking at connection and repair with parents showed that mothers and babies had like 33% of the time connection and the rest of the time was sort of the discord and repair. So that's not near 50%. That's not near perfect. That is so far from perfect. And what is important is the repair is what strengthens these relationships. And I think the way that the easiest way to think about it is if you grew up thinking that having a mismatch in a moment or fighting or having an argument or, you know, not getting noticed or whatever didn't occur, you go into your romantic relationships or you go into your friendships and you have a moment like that, which you will. And if you didn't understand that that's just the normal part of growing a relationship, you might think it's over and run away and be done with it. And that is because you don't have a deep belief in the stability of those relationships because you didn't experience what it was like to grow and strengthen because you had the opportunity to repair and do every single time. So I love repair and I, I think that the reason it's important isn't just in those moments, but it really is like money in the bank, as crass as that sounds, for later relationships. Okay, to call back Grey's Anatomy, uh, <laughs> uh, there is a scene in which Derek and Meredith are early dating sure, and sure. they get in a fight and at some point he says something along the lines of like, oh, this is how this works. Like, yeah, we're gonna have arguments we're gonna have conflict and then i'm gonna still show up and she was like well i didn't know that and he was like oh (laughs) yeah so just you know tie that right in if we would like to i think that Grey's anatomy has really good opportunities to look at that (laughs) (laughs) um i think it's so crucial and well again a lot of us didn't grow up with the repair part and so learning how to like even just take accountability for our own actions for me is really freeing. And I think the part that people can get hung up on is then like, it isn't that you have to feel guilty the rest of the day about what you did or ashamed of your behavior or whatever that like repair is enough yeah, that you've that. done your job. Yeah. You move along and you have to also as a service to your kids so that they don't berate themselves every time yeah. they make mistakes because they see that you forgive yourself, that you have self-compassion. You cannot use a nasty voice in your own head and expect that your kids aren't going to use a nasty voice in their heads. Oh, I love it so much. Yeah. The self-compassion piece is huge. Thanks, Kristen Neff. Huge. Rad. Oh my God. I'm so jazzed for folks to get their hands on this bad boy. They can (laughs) snag it now. Um, The five principles of parenting. Your essential guide to raising good humans. Thanks for writing this. Thank you. Thank you for reading it. 
thank yeah. you for giving me the opportunity to talk to you about it and the work that you're doing. I really do love this book. I have to say, even though I've now had to obviously read it 782 times and I just finished the audiobook, So like, yeah, I could take a break from it. But when I was reading it, I was like, Oh my God, <laughs> this is good. That's what I found when I was reading the audiobook. I was like, we wrote a good book. <laughs> I like this. So um, I think, I hope it evokes both relief and tools. Yeah. Like not too many tools and not too much relief. Just like really that space between. <laughs> not too much relief. Not so really much relief that you just give up. <laughs> I love it. I think it does a great job balancing those two. I oh, think it, it doesn't feel like homework. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you for doing this. And where can folks tune into your podcast, follow you, learn more from you? I'm on Instagram on at Raising Good Humans podcast, and I'm on any podcast platform, Raising Good Humans. And then the um, I have a Substack, DrLisa.substack.com. I think that's what it is. I should probably look that up. And then, of course, pre-order The Five Principles of Parenting. That's another oh, 100%. one. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Voices of Your Village. Check out the transcript at voicesofyourvillage.com. Did you know that we have a special community over on Instagram hanging out every day with more free content? Come join us at seed.and.so, S-E-W. Take a screenshot of you tuning in, share it on the gram, and tag seed.and.so to let me know your key takeaway. If you're digging this podcast, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We love collaborating with you to raise emotionally intelligent humans. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co., and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts.